to the podcast edition of Untangled. I've got a few great interviews lined up, including one next week with Ian Bogost from The Atlantic. If you haven't yet subscribed, do your future self a favor and sign up on Apple or Spotify. In February, I offered a sociological deep dive into a topic you didn't know you needed to understand, decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs. As I was writing it, I came across Kyle Cheka's piece for The New Yorker, The Promise of DAOs, The Latest Craze in Crypto. It's great, which won't be surprising to anyone who follows Cheka. If you don't, do it, do it now. He is an incisive writer on technology and culture. Kyle and his colleague Daisy Aliotto also recently launched their own DAO called Dirt DAO to govern their newsletter about entertainment. It's an interesting experiment in editorial democracy, and I was thrilled to host Kyle on Untangled to talk about it and DAOs more broadly. In our conversation, Kyle and I talk about whether DAOs will evolve from arcane financial instruments to behave more like modern day companies, why governance is everything, and why most people don't want to do it, how his experiment with Dirt DAO is going, and what he's learned. Oh, and we speculate wildly on what would happen if Twitter launched a token and distributed it to users proportional to one's accumulated retweets. A huge thank you to Kyle for joining the pod and a note of gratitude to you, dear listener, for learning alongside me. As always, if you like the podcast, please do all the things to make it go viral. Share it, review it, and rate it. And now, on with the show. Kyle Cheka, welcome to Untangled. Thanks for having me. So what's what's your story? How did you come to write about tech and culture for The New Yorker? Yeah, it's kind of a long story, I think, or a, a slightly meandering path. Um, so I never really studied technology, I suppose, or really writing at all. Um, but I was always really fascinated with art history almost as a high school student. Uh, and so in university at, at Tufts University where I went, um, I mostly studied Chinese in the international relations department and art history, but I more importantly got into writing for the college newspaper, which is one of the smallest daily college newspapers, I think. Um, so I would write art reviews for the newspaper. And that was kind of how I got in touch with like the joy that I find in writing about stuff and communicating with people through that space. Um, but I think like circa 2010, I started working for this art blog called Hyperallergic, uh, just kind of early on in the kind of digital art commentary blog era. Um, and while I was doing that in Brooklyn, I, I observed a lot more of the evolution of digital art. So around that time in New York, there was a huge scene of artists working with new technology, along with the kind of startup boom that was happening with like Silicon Alley companies like <laughs> Tumblr and stuff. Um, so I was kind of plunged into the midst of that. And I think that's how I started writing about technology. It was through the lens of art, but I became more and more interested in the actual companies and in the actual products that they were making and just this kind of culture that felt like it was coming out of Silicon Valley and the kind of startup ideology. 
We're going to spend most of our time talking about one of your more recent pieces, the promise of DAOs, the latest craze in crypto. Before we dive in, though, I think we need a little bit of scene setting <laughs> because of all the new words that are being used in, mm -hmm. in crypto and how hard they are to sort of make sense of. So what is a DAO and how did you become interested in them? <laughs> that's I feel like that's the question that everyone is trying to ask is like what is a DAO um I officially I think a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization and that can mean a lot of different things in a literal sense to me what it means is an organization built on blockchain technology like NFTs and cryptocurrency that brings together a group of people around a specific idea with a pool of money that is usually developed through those same crypto channels. So a bunch of people might buy the same token or they might buy the same batch of NFTs or they might just pool a bunch of their money and decide that they're all going to collectively control it. So I think a DAO, a DAO fundamentally is just a group of people doing something and deciding that they're going to govern collectively in, in whatever the organization is doing. And it uses crypto technology in order to operate and, and do governance, as they say. I think most often that takes the form of doing votes using the tokens that the group has. So proportional to how much money you've put in to the organization, perhaps you vote a number of times on particular decisions. I mean, there's, there's DAOs have existed for a little while, I think maybe since 2016 or 2017. And the idea has certainly existed for much longer than that. I think you could call kind of anything a, a DAO. <laughs> you could call like a student newspaper a DAO, I suppose. But what I, I started noticing DAOs becoming more prominent maybe in the past year or so, kind of after the NFT boom peaked and DAOs became the next big thing. So I, I was starting to see DAOs forming mostly around investment funds, NFT collecting, and kind of small scale group projects. Was there a moment in time when you were like, oh, this is going to affect society. I need to better understand it. Right, yeah. I mean, I to be clear, I, I don't know that it will affect society necessarily. I think it's kind mm -hmm. of an arcane arrangement at this point um so it'll affect society in the way that you know a hedge funds financial product structure affects society which it does but most people neither know nor care what that looks like um <laughs> i think i mean i certainly noticed a lot of projects developing in a small scale way in the past year so i would see project launches on Mirror, which is like a crypto enabled publishing platform. Uh, I would see things like Creator Cabins, which is a DAO developed to organize and grow a set of cabins in Texas and possibly build a decentralized city elsewhere. Um, but I think the, the, the more direct answer might be when I could convince my editor to allow me to write about DAOs, which <laughs> followed the kind of super headline making moment around constitution DAO, which was a DAO that was trying to buy a copy of the constitution 
and Spice Dow, which is a Dow that successfully bought a copy of a kind of like art book about an unproduced Dune film, and then thought that it could then produce its own Dune film, which is of course not correct. Like you don't own the IP to something because you bought a single book. So I think those those like headline making moments really made a lot more people pay attention to what a DAO is or what these people are doing. And at that point, I think the term had become so much more mainstream, even if it wasn't more understood that, that I could write about it. And it was seen as important enough to address in public, I think. You sort of sketch out different types of DAOs in the piece. Some are more akin to um, a venture capital firm. Some are more akin to sort of like a creative collective. Like what, from your perspective, characterizes the sort of fundamental value proposition of a DAO? Like what problem within traditional organizational forms are DAOs actually solving? To me, the... The problem that they solve is basically the governance of money and the like equitable, equitable sharing in rewards from any kind of financial arrangement. Fundamentally, in my opinion, a DAO is a pool of money that's governed by people. Usually that's driven by a token. And so the token can be sold in order to put money into the pot. And then the to- how many tokens you have is corresponds to how much money you put into the pot. And if that pot of money grows or is invested in cool stuff or produces interesting projects, then the value of that token theoretically goes up. And then if you want out of the DAO or out of the project, you might then sell your token and see a financial reward that's beyond what you initially paid for the token. So I think that's Doing that in a totally decentralized kind of user-driven way, I think is a totally radical change and is an unprecedented thing that normal people can do. Like this is a thing that happens all the time with startups and financial products and banking, but normal people like me have no, absolutely no way of accessing that nor really understanding it at a basic level. And so these tools bring those economic transactions and systems down to like a a normal human level and I think that's super powerful yeah I mean right now to your point it seems like most DAOs are operating according to governance rules that say whoever has the most tokens has the most power and voice in decision making at the same time there are a handful of startups experimenting with DAO governance you referenced the NFT marketplace super rare in your piece which is sending users tokens proportional to the volume of their transactions on the platform. Can you say a bit more about like what they're doing and how you see more broadly sort of governance evolving? Yeah, I think all any DAO can operate in a different way from any other DAO. Like I think to me, it's just a term for like a, a kind of organization. So the organization can decide its own principles. And a lot of them do do the kind of proportional voting, I think they describe it as, where the number of tokens you have corresponds to the votes you have. But you could also do it that, you know, every every token holder only gets one vote, no matter how many tokens you have. So it's, you know, a kind of like more democratic system that's not just based on investment. And then other platforms like Super Rare, where tokens are kind of retroactively dropped to users who have 
use the platform, transacted on the platform, helped the platform grow. So I think in the case of SuperAir and the ENS domain service is another example. The more stuff you did on the platform, the more transactions you did, the more purchases you made, the more tokens you got for the, the governance DAO. And I mean, to me, this is like one of the super interesting applications of the technology is this like kind of parallel company system that exists in tandem with a kind of traditional VC investment company board system. And I think it's a really cool way for users to have a say in the organization and to have some kind of voice. Like it's almost like a union of users where they can vote on certain things and exercise certain power, but maybe not too much power. I think it remains to be seen what actual governance those groups are doing. But I do, I mean, it's a really interesting way of rewarding power users and developing some kind of accountability system. That's kind of akin to like going public on a stock exchange. Mm -hmm. Like if people don't like what you're doing, then they'll sell your stock and that will reflect badly on your company. I mean, right now, this sort of feels like a kind of niche thing happening on platforms that not a lot of people know about. You also, at one point in your piece, asked readers to imagine if Twitter rewarded a form of stock based on your accumulated retweets. Like when I imagined that, I got a little nervous. I'm curious, what do you think would be the sort of social effect of essentially like financializing retweets? <laughs> I mean, I think I think that is what a platform like SuperAir did, basically, like, you know, rewarding people based on their interaction with the platform. Um, with Twitter, it's a whole nother question because these are like social platforms that have existed for much longer and have a much like longer history of use. I mean, the question would still be what kinds of governance would the token holders be able to do? I think if Twitter airdropped a token, the price of that token would go up pretty high because it would be unprecedented and Twitter is a major platform and there would be this expectation that the token is going to mean something. But ultimately it would be up to Twitter what that means. Like it, it could be a token that, ha that gives you no power fundamentally. And if the company doesn't allow for actual DAO governance, then the value of that token might go down. That you can imagine if a company like Twitter did that, maybe people would vote about should the like button be a heart or a thumbs up or mm -hmm. these kind of like superficial changes that maybe don't fundamentally matter to the operation of the company. Because I do think, I mean, a, a company run by democracy is not necessarily going to be that successful. <laughs> like <we're, laughs> the, the people who get the most retweets on Twitter are not the people who know what's best for the company itself necessarily. Right. I mean, the the introduction of tokens, especially publicly traded tokens, create all sorts of weird um, incentive structures. I mean, you, you know, in the piece that these governance tokens aren't meant to be financial instruments, yet that hasn't stopped folks from treating them as such. Um, so how do you think the ability to sort of publicly trade tokens will sort of impact DAOs? and the motivations of people that, you know, work in them. Yeah, there was, uh, it was very amusing when SuperAir did its token drop because there is actual language on the announcement that like SuperAir 
does not tell you that you can sell these tokens. Like these tokens are not meant to be sold. If you sell them, it is entirely up to you <laughs> and they are not financial securities, blah, blah, blah. And it's like totally absurd because obviously immediately those tokens were a valuable product and their price went up from like $2 to $6 or something. So lots of people made lots of money by trading in these tokens that were like not meant to be traded as financial products. So I think like because of the public nature of blockchain technology and the kind of decentralization of it, it seems almost impossible to stop people from selling tokens in some way or other, unless it's just such a small group of users that you can control them by other means, whether it's like peer pressure or legal threats or something. For example, with another organization that I talk about in the piece runs these various DAOs called like Flamingo DAO and other things that are mostly NFT collections and like investment funds, but they limit their token holders to, it's only like 300 people who actually hold tokens and all those people are accredited investors like by the US government standards and the tokens can only be exchanged within the group. So you can't sell the tokens to outside people. And measures like that might impede a marketplace from forming. Uh, but then it's like, I find those examples somewhat frustrating because that's just rich people swapping money. Like right. that's, <laughs> that is not a more equitable form of financial arrangement for anyone. I mean, there's there is this weird like the, the language that we use to describe DAOs always and like a lot of the sort of language in crypto has this sort of like egalitarian quality to it and then you get down to sort of like what's actually happening <laughs> and to your point it's often rich people swapping money so I think I mean there can be lots of counter I would hope there would be more counterexamples. <laughs> like I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to more things developing that are more equitable. I think like creator cabins is an interesting example where the end product is not some enormous financial arrangement. It's like a very coherent physical thing with certain qualities and like a, a kind of group club mentality. Um, so that I find that super interesting. Um, and actually like my, the newsletter I, started with Daisy Alioto called Dirt operates a DAO where people who have bought our NFTs and tokens can vote on editorial decisions. And I think that it, it allows people to participate in a different way within the publication. So that to me feels like a slightly more realistic or like small scale application of this kind of technology that, that goes beyond just rearranging investment funds and like distributing tokens into other tokens, these very arcane transactions. I'm glad you bring that up because I really wanted to talk to you about your experiment in sort of launching your own newsletter uh, DAO. So what sort of prompted you to do that and what have you learned from the experiment so far? So Dirt was a newsletter that I started in December 2020, I think basically as like the pandemic was still quite raging and everyone was quarantined and we were all just watching Netflix all day. So it was a newsletter to talk about streaming content and what people were doing online more or less. But I think pretty quickly I realized there was a lot happening in the crypto space at the moment. Like that was in the midst of an NFT boom 
and there was like the beginnings of talks about more mainstream DAO stuff. And so as the newsletter grew, I was interested in kind of figuring out how to use NFTs to fund it and see if it worked in that way. I joined this platform called Mirror, which I mentioned before, I guess, but it's think of like Medium, the publishing platform, but with blockchain devices built in. And through Mirror, we sold NFTs to fund Dirt and kind of kept it going and kept covering crypto developments. And then later on, I think we started trying to figure out how we could approach DAO ideas and experiment with those as well. When we sold our NFTs, there was an attendant token that was called like Dirt Season 1. And so if you bought an NFT, you would get a proportional amount of tokens. And we didn't do much with those tokens over time. They just kind of existed as a record of who had given us money, more or less, uh, which is a very powerful tool because ultimately we could use that record to allow those people to cast their votes on our editorial decisions based on how much funding they had put in. So yeah, over time we developed this idea that maybe we could use the DAO, DAO tools and the DAO token in order to run these votes and allow people to participate in the editorial process. I don't think there's no market for the tokens. Like this is, it is not a financial product because there's no demands, I don't think. But I do think it's a deeper way, deeper mode than subscriptions to participate in the life of a publication. How has uh, the sort of tokenization changed or influenced the editorial process? We, we decided that it had to be within a very limited space. So it's not that the entire publication is driven by crypto or everything has to be voted on, but we dedicated a portion of the editorial budget, I think like $2,000 a month or something like that, to stories that would be like assigned by the DAO. So the editor, Daisy Aliotto, compiles pitches that she gets from freelancers and then makes a nice list of them and presents it to the members of the DAO. And there may be like 25 active members. And then they get to vote on, you know, which they get to allocate actually their tokens to which ideas they like the best. And you can do multiple ones. You can put all your tokens into one. And then those, those features are commissioned and they run you know, as they come in, but hopefully twice a month or so, there'll be like a DAO commissioned feature. So I think it works very well in that limited space and it makes it more coherent, I think. My problem with DAOs is so often governance doesn't really mean anything. Like there's, there's actually no governance that's executed in these projects. So with DIRT, we wanted to make sure that the DAO votes were very real governance over the specific editorial project. So are people engaged? Are they voting? Like, how do you think um, the DAO model has altered sort of reader engagement relative to, you know, some of the other projects you've worked on? I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I think another problem with DAOs is just most people don't want to do governance. They don't really care about decision-making within a project. Um, they don't want to have to follow the issues day to day and vote on stuff. I mean, 
you see the same problem in a political democracy where like not everyone even cares about helping choose who's in charge of the country. For the the people who have bought our NFTs are some of our biggest supporters, obviously, and they help the thing to run. So I think out of maybe 150 or so NFT buyers, maybe 25 to 30 are actively voting on these decisions, which is a percentage that I'm totally happy with. And I'm very happy that those people can be kind of our brain trust for decision-making and help us kind of manage the, the identity of Dur and get what they want out of it. Cause I think they're helping pay for it. So why shouldn't they get to see the stories that they want to see? Though I think like a, a question that I've encountered before with this is like, what is the relationship between DAO governance and like the, the independence of journalism? Um, and I think, I mean, it works for us because DIRT is not an investigative outfit. Like we're not reporting on deep topics. We're not trying to make political arguments. We're mostly just covering content online and like what people like to watch. So I think within that realm, the DAO governance works and we are only voting on stories that we would be happy to run anyway, that are then assigned to writers who Daisy already wants to work with and usually has a relationship with. So I don't think we're in trouble of the DAO pushing us to like write about some problematic topic or something. What have you learned from running a DAO that you didn't quite grok or understand through interviewing folks for your piece or just sort of like participating in the sort of public conversation around DAOs? I, I think it's that, that, that act of governance once again, like not everyone wants to participate in governance. It doesn't mean anything to most people, but it does mean something to kind of your strongest supporters and your, your closest like allies and whatever your project is. So the people who really have a stake in the future of what you're doing are the people who are going to vote and like want their voices to be heard in that process. I mean, to me, it shows how DAOs need to be small and focused and coherent, but most of them are incoherent and sprawling and like don't really have a specific identity or a specific set of actions that they undertake. Is there anything that surprised you about the experiment? I mean, I'm surprised how many people did vote. <laughs> like, I think it's cool and interesting to do this, but I was glad to see that other people did as well. And I, I actually, what strikes me the most about it is it's actually a really good argument for blockchain technology and for why these technologies can be useful. Um, like, I think so often the criticism of crypto and blockchain is like, well, what are we going to use this for? Like, are we going to put every banana export on the blockchain and then keep track of it. It's like, well, no, that's, it, that is, that sounds very silly, but on a small scale, blockchain stuff has helped us bring in funding, keep totally transparent records of it, and then allow people to exercise authority over that funding in a manner that we choose. I have absolutely no idea how I would do any of that without the tools that have developed. Like, and the tools are so simple to use actually that it, I mean, it's just as simple as setting up a Substack paywall and subscription. 
And that to me is just a super striking argument for how this technology can be useful and is effective. I mean, this gets to you, you end the piece by sort of arguing that the actual form of DAOs matter less than what they accomplish. So looking five years out from now, what do you think DAOs will have accomplished? Hopefully they'll have bought the constitution. Um, <laughs> but I, no, I think DAOs will accomplish a lot and they are accomplishing a lot already in limited spaces. So I think there will be more DAOs fulfilling the same function that regular companies do now, particularly the kind of like studio or agency model of, of company. So rather than having, you know, an agency with principals and partners and employees and contractors, you just build that system with a token, you distribute the token based on how much authority or equity people have, and then you run all of the revenue through that, through that token contract, and then the revenue gets distributed equitably out of the control of any one single person. And I could see that model doing anything an agency does, like producing a film, like selling a book, even developing real estate, maybe, I don't know. I think short of, short of like total government regulation that destroys the functionality of it, I think DAOs will accomplish anything that regular LLCs do right now. Is there anything you'd like to speak to about DAOs that I didn't create the space for us to discuss? I mean, to me, the frustrating parts of DAOs are still, they're mostly arcane financial instruments that are marketed to the same people that like series A startup investments are, which is like not a person like me. And I think the more that it, the more that DAOs get out of that mindset of like catering toward investors and investment, the, the more functional that they'll become. Well, that raises a question for me, which is like, if we think that DAOs are going to functionally do a lot of the things that regular companies do today, a number of years from now, but they're currently these sort of like functioning as arcane financial instruments, what will have changed along the way to, yeah, sort of like reorient their focus? Yeah. I mean, I think the idea is becoming more mainstream. So it's moving out of the realm of just people who have tons of crypto and more people are, are beginning to understand what's good about them. I think a lot of the different things will happen. I think people are very alienated from large scale social platforms at this point. And a lot of people are craving like more meaningful authority within them and rewards from them and just something that feels more close to hand. And I think DAOs can provide that and I also think much better tools are being built every day for DAOs and for kind of crypto, small-scale crypto economies. And that's making it much easier to create one of these systems. Let's say it's just as easy to make one as it is to think of one. So your <laughs> idea better be really good. <laughs> like you can, you can make a token with the push of a button. That doesn't mean anyone will buy it but you can have a DAO really, really easily at this point. Someone thinking of starting an LLC might just as soon think of starting a DAO or a DAO that operates through an LLC or a governance thing that influences how they run their LLC or any kind of thing like that. Well, so I've been ending each podcast with a, a personal question, which is 
if you could give one piece of advice to your teenage self, what would it be and why? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I suppose within the context of this conversation, it's that technology is always changing. And <laughs> like the, the order of platforms and the tools that we use is never going to be fixed, that it always changes every few years and there's always a new overhaul and new relationships that form and new ideas that come to the fore. So the things that are around you right now are not gonna be the things that are around you in 10 years. And then where can folks find you online? Uh, so my Twitter, which is probably where I post the most is my last name and first initial at Chekake. Um, and I write a column about digital culture for the New Yorker website, which is newyorker.com. That's, that's about it. Dirt actually is a daily newsletter and that can be found at dirt.substack.com. And I think it's super fun and cool. I'm very biased, but it's a good newsletter. And yeah, I have a, my own personal newsletter at kylecheka.substack.com. Well, Kyle Cheka, thanks so much for joining the pod. Yeah, this was great.